1: We're into week three of the House impeachment inquiry into President Trump. Here are some developments to keep you updated. A new Washington post Shar School poll published Tuesday shows public opinion has shifted quickly against Trump. A majority of Americans say they endorse the decision by House Democrats to begin an impeachment inquiry. Nearly half of all adults also say that the House should take the additional step and recommend that the president be removed from office. Also, The Washington Post reported Monday that House Democrats are considering ways to allow the original whistleblower, the person who first flagged the Trump-Zelensky call in a formal complaint, to testify while still remaining anonymous. The steps under consideration include having the whistleblower testify from a remote location and obscuring the individual's appearance and voice. The Democrats are hoping to prevent Trump's allies in Congress from exposing the whistleblower's identity. Meanwhile, Senator Lindsey Graham said he would invite Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, to testify in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee about, quote, corruption and other improprieties involving Ukraine. Senate Democrats have said they would welcome testimony from Giuliani. Yet one moment from the Hill so far this week stood out. As of Monday night, the U.S. ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, was scheduled to appear in a closed-door hearing Tuesday. That changed Tuesday morning, when the Trump administration told Sondland that he would not be able to testify. Since the inquiry began, Sondland has emerged as a central player in the Trump administration's efforts to pressure Ukraine to launch investigations of the president's political rivals. And Sondland had been willing to testify before he was blocked. That sudden change of plans raised questions about the escalating tug of war between Congress and the Trump administration. A tug of war that escalated even further Tuesday when in a letter to House leaders, the White House counsel said it will not cooperate with the House impeachment inquiry. So how much power does the executive branch have to stop witnesses from testifying? What means of recourse does Congress have to fight back? What are witnesses' obligations and what does it mean for the impeachment inquiry going forward if few hearings actually happen? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. For answers, I turn to intelligence and national security reporter Shane Harris. Shane's been covering developments in the impeachment inquiry. I asked him to start with a rundown on who Ambassador Gordon Sondland is and how he ended up entangled in the U.S. relationship with Ukraine.
0: Gordon Sondland is the U.S. ambassador to the European Union. So he is our primary emissary to that group. Um, He does not have a background in foreign policy. He has a background in um, developing luxury hotels in the Pacific Northwest uh, and was kind of a mega donor for – President Trump. He donated through a series of shell companies about a million dollars to Trump's inaugural fund. So kind of big dollar, heavy hitter, who seems to have developed a fairly close relationship to the president, uh, but is relatively unknown in U.S. foreign policy circles.
1: Okay. And you say ambassador to the EU, but Ukraine is not in the European Union. So what is Sondland's connection to this impeachment inquiry into President Trump?
0: Well, he appears to have inserted himself into U.S.-Ukraine policy. uh, And you correct said that uh, Ukraine is not in the portfolio of the European (laughs) Union, he comes into the picture as a kind of a key person in what is emerging as this kind of organized effort by him and by at least one other diplomat to pressure the government of Ukraine to open investigations into the political rivals of the president. And apparently, based on communications that have been coming out, doing so uh, as a condition for receiving military aid and support from the Trump administrations. So something that Sondland denies, but nevertheless, it appears there's ample evidence to suggest it happen.
1: Okay, so why did the Democrats see Sondland as an important witness?
0: They think he's important because he can basically tell them whether there was a quid pro quo mm-hmm. um, between the administration and Ukraine. Uh, if you open up investigations for President Trump into the Bidens and into this uh, kind of conspiracy theory that Ukraine was somehow meddling in the 2016 elections. You get military aid. You get a meeting with President Trump, which is something that the Ukrainian President Zelensky desperately wanted. So he and his communications, Democrats think, can have, help answer that basic question, was there a quid pro quo at play with the Trump administration's deals with Ukraine?
1: Can you tell me what we know at this point about his communications?
0: What we know right now, we know from the text messages that were turned over by a man named Kurt Volker. And Kurt Volker is the US envoy to Ukraine who's sort of there trying to deal with issues related to Ukraine and Russia, which of course is their their, their primary adversary. Um, Volker, who is no longer in his post, turned those text messages over to the committees running the impeachment inquiry in the House. Those text messages show the back and forth where these diplomats, as well as a third person who is our sort of primary diplomat in Kiev are talking about what appears to be this quid pro quo. How are we going to get the Ukrainians to come out with a public message that shows they're going to start these investigations? And when they do that, we can set up a meeting with the president. That's kind of the essence or, if you will, like the uh, the, uh, the illustration of the quid pro quo is contained in those texts. And Sondland is one of the people who is primarily figuring in those messages and importantly comes in at one point where he seems to be trying to get people to stop texting about this, mm-hmm. kind of seems to be aware that the information that's being put in these messages is going to become part of the permanent record. And we'll do things like tell people to call him rather than putting it in a text message.
1: And as far as we know, there may be more communications.
0: Right. We think there are actually, because the Democrats in the House have referred to texts and emails that Sondland had on a personal device. And they have said that they're going to issue a subpoena to get those because he turned them over to the State Department and not to the congressional committees.
1: Okay. So he was scheduled to testify on Tuesday in front of several House committees, and ultimately he didn't because the State Department, which he works for, stopped him. At this point, do we know why they stopped him? What reasoning they gave?
0: They've given a lot of reasons, and that's not surprising in the sense that this administration does have a pattern of trying to stop people who've worked in the executive branch from coming up to Congress and giving them information that could be detrimental to the president. The, the real reason essentially come down to what Mike Pompeo has articulated in a letter that he sent to the Democratic chairman of the, the Foreign Affairs Committee. He said that uh, you've only sent a letter. This isn't really a subpoena. Uh, you said you've given us an inadequate amount of time to prepare these witnesses. There's been some question about whether they can have State Department counsel participating in them. Uh, these invitations, as he calls them, that were sent to Sondland and others uh, uh, appear to be personal. It would require them to produce a huge amount of documents. You're not giving it enough time. So Pompeo kind of throwing the kitchen sink at it. It's not clear on Tuesday what the rationale was for the administration blocking him. What Democrats have said is that up until Monday night they were in discussions with lawyers at the State Department, uh, and it seemed like this testimony was going to be a go. Uh, and then at about 12:30 a.m., the Democrats say the State Department called Sondland's lawyers, leaving a voicemail saying, "Do not testify." Sondland, it's important to point out, issued a statement saying, I am more than ready to testify. Mm -hmm. I flew in from Brussels for the occasion. And what he seems to be doing, I think, if you read between the lines a bit, could be perceived as sort of saying to Pompeo in the White House, like, don't put this on me, right? I'm ready to testify. If you're going to block me from testifying, that's on you. I want it to be known that I'm here and willing to talk.
1: What have the Democrats said in response to those reasons from the State Department and from the executive branch as to why he didn't testify?
0: They have called it an obstruction. They're saying this is this is the executive branch, the White House, the State Department obstructing an impeachment inquiry uh, and have suggested that that could become another article of impeachment itself. So sort of throwing another log on the impeachment fire. What they've said is they are now going to subpoena Sondland for his testimony – for his records, uh, and I think that they are, well, they have described it, essentially as an effort by the President, as they see it, to hide the facts about what he was doing and how he was pressuring Ukraine and how he was using this diplomat and others to do that.
1: but to be clear, who decides what amounts to obstructing a congressional investigation?
0: That is like one of the biggest questions of the Trump administration we do here. Right? And can you
1: do that <laughs>
0: right. So if you ask the kind of the the essential question, can the White House, block Sondland from testifying? The simple answer is yes, because they just did. Uh, And they are essentially calling Congress's bluff on that. Now, Congress can issue a subpoena if Sondland then refuses to honor the subpoena or if the State Department tries to prevent that, it would have to go to court. And then you'd have to litigate these issues of whether there's some kind of executive privilege that might cover Sondland and give the administration a legitimate case for not Sharing information with Congress, uh, or if, whether there be some other rationale for preventing him, it seems like the strategy that's developing now. And it can be very difficult to tell because it's also hard to know who is speaking for the administration, mm-hmm. right? Is it the president through Twitter? Is it Rudy Giuliani? Is pres- his personal lawyer who today started saying things like these are the administration's positions? Rudy Giuliani is not a member of the administration. Right. Is it Mike Pompeo and these letters that he's sending out? So at some point, if the Democrats in Congress decide. To really contest this and try and force Sondland or anyone else to testify, that's going to be something that plays out in a court.
1: And then if Trump has obstructed, are there tangible penalties for a president obstructing a congressional investigation?
0: Well, there might not be penalties. And as we know, we learned from the Mueller report, uh, you know, president, sitting president can't be indicted. Now, a couple of things could happen. One is that there could be Uh, Well, it could feed impeachment. That's one obvious penalty. I mean, Democrats have already signaled that if the administration tries to block their inquiry, that itself is an act of impeachment Possibly, so they can go after it that way. But let's just play this out and say that a court rules that this individual, Sondland, has to testify. And let's just even imagine hypothetically goes through all the appeals and the administration loses. Well, then the court essentially says to the administration, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. Now, what if the president just says, no? That's a constitutional crisis, right? Right. That is by definition one. And so while I don't think we should necessarily get ahead of ourselves on where this is going to go, the Congress and the White House could negotiate something with Sondland. If you keep going down that track of Congress demanding something and saying this is within our constitutional authority to get this information and the administration saying no, we oppose this. You have to go to that third branch of government to settle it. And if they get to that standoff, we're in a very interesting place.
1: Right. I want to elaborate on some of the the things you've thus far mentioned. So Sondland isn't the first State Department employee to not go to their deposition. There have been others, as you said. Is this particular move by the State Department ordering Sondland not to testify different from those other moments?
0: I think it's different for a couple of reasons. One is that he is so at the center of what is emerging in this story of how the administration – seem to pressure Ukraine in exchange for military aid and for support so he can answer a lot of questions he's very high profile um, he's also he's a political appointee I think that in some ways makes him uh, even more of an, of, a, of a live target uh, for Democrats but fundamentally you know he is an employee of the US government and whatever rules that the administration is going to try to assert on, how he can or can't testify should apply for any other State Department employee, including uh, the former ambassador to Ukraine who is supposed to give a deposition later this week.
1: I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.
0: Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural
1: landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. Normally, how is a request to testify to Congress made? Do the committees reach out directly to the people they want to depose?
0: Yeah. I mean, they, you, there's a number of ways you can do it. You can formally subpoena them. That's kind of the more extreme measure. Um, but usually what happens is the Congress says, we want you to come up here and testify. And, you know, they ask politely, but it's not so much a request. I mean, it's a direction. In previous administrations, there have been fights over executive privilege as well, but those have tended to be fairly narrowly crafted where administrations have used them in specific instances and have articulated what it is that they're trying to cover by privilege. What you're seeing now with the Trump administration amounts to more of a kind of wholesale uh, um, blocking uh, uh, of people from going up and testifying uh, and I think that is distinct from – the kind of assertions we've seen from previous administrations.
1: Is the request process different for people who, who are part of the administration versus those who are not? So reaching out to an individual versus going through department systems or having to clear it through someone?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, they, if they wanted to do this, if the Democrats wanted to do this the way at least certainly like Mike Pompeo is wish they would have done it, they could go to the State Department. Put the request into the secretary. Say we want to talk to these people. Work it out with the legal counsel's office in the State Department. That appears to sort of be what they were doing with Sondland, insofar as Democrats said they were talking to lawyers in the State Department, and figuring out how to work that out. And then usually they give a reasonable amount of time for the person to produce the documents and the information that they want to give to Congress. There's no doubt here the Democrats are going very, very fast. Mm -hmm. They would like to get this, I think, an impeachment vote maybe even before Thanksgiving. Now, when you're talking about a more senior political person, uh, you know, obviously the White House Counsel's Office could get involved there if it was White House staff. But essentially what they're doing is saying to that individual, we want you to come and produce these documents insofar as you can and to give your testimony. So the mechanism for how they do it is interesting. There may be multiple ways, but at the end of the day, it's Congress sort of commanding that testimony. Here, it's a deposition. Mm -hmm. It's not public testimony, so it's a little bit different. The Republicans have tried to sort of, you know, say there too, how is this even proceeding because the House Democrats haven't actually held a vote on whether there is an impeachment inquiry. So all these kind of process questions are in play and people are arguing over them. But at the end of the day, it is about getting this individual to come up and tell his story, However, the Congress decides to do that,
1: and that individual can say no.
0: That individual can say no. He could come up and he could say, um, "I don't want to discuss this because I think it's been covered by privilege," or he could say, "I've been advised not to talk about it." You can always assert your Fifth Amendment rights I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, there are sanctions that Congress can exercise on an individual for defying a subpoena. Um, there's no longer like a brig or a jail uh, in the Congress as a thing <laughs> that was before. But this has come up in other instances too where we take Cor- Corey Lewandowski for instance who was somebody who was senior on the Trump campaign. was called up to testify recently and gave, I think by many accounts, a very defiant testimony regarding what was described in the Mueller report. And there were people saying, you know, sanction him, hold him in contempt. Well, I guess the Congress could, but we haven't really seen them do something like that in a long time. This is testing this whole period whether or not Congress is sort of willing to use those inherent authorities that it does have to compel testimony. It is a legal tribunal. It's not a court, but it's like a court. Mm -hmm. And it has those powers to subpoena and to punish people who don't do what it commands them to do.
1: And not to belabor the point, but Sondland is really in this difficult position where the Congress is telling him one thing and the State Department and the administration Mm -hmm. is telling him another.
0: Right. That's right. And, you know, some people have suggested one thing you could do is just quit Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because then he would be a private citizen. Uh, I suppose he could go up and give testimony anyway. The administration could turn around and fire him. Um, but you know, last I looked, he's not hurting for jobs. Right. Um, so he has some agency in this as well. Um, now, he can't go up and reveal classified information. Uh, that would be a crime. But I think there are some real questions about you know, what exactly would the administration be able to do to stop him if he did want to testify. And mm-hmm. if we're taking him at his word that he did, um, he, he has
1: options. So what would change if he did resign from his position? Can he testify then or or might things still be protected by executive privilege?
0: There are things that conceivably could be protected that the administration might still try to assert as in things that were covered by your time in office. But a couple kind of high-level observations. As a private citizen, it does, I think, is the case that he is freed up more to talk because mm-hmm. there's no longer the threat of him losing his job or some kind of sanction uh, in his current position And much the same way that we saw Kurt Volker. Um, who was the U.S. envoy to Ukraine. He quit and then he turned all his information over to Congress and he went and gave a deposition and there's been no punishment that he suffered. He just went ahead and did that. The administration can assert a privilege but there may be some things for which the uh, privilege can't be legitimately asserted. For instance, if they're text messages where they don't appear to be talking about anything classified, maybe other conversations that don't involve, for instance, a foreign leader. There may be things that he can talk about that simply wouldn't be covered you know, by the ambit of the privilege. But again, it's important to remember that you know this administration sort of views executive privilege as some kind of blanket that it can just throw all over everything. And those assertions have yet to be litigated. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know how far they're going to go with this. They could try and go sort of all the way mm-hmm. and block it, um, but ultimately that would be up to courts to decide whether that was being properly asserted.
1: And one assumes this wouldn't make it through the courts before the Democrats want to see an impeachment vote.
0: Entirely possible, and I think it is. I think it is a fair analysis to read into what the administration is doing right now, uh, basically just. Refuse to testify, let it go to the courts, let it drag out. That buys time for the administration and it drags out this process potentially for many months. All
1: right. Speaking of this process, as we look at the hearing schedule, several people have been blocked from testifying. But right now on the calendar for Friday are plans to depose the former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich Do you expect that deposition will happen as scheduled?
0: If I had to bet, um, (laughs) it's a tough bet. You could really see it going either way. On the one hand, I think that the ambassador, I suspect, would like to testify, would like to spell this out. By all accounts, I think she was not happy about being recalled from her post. Uh, and would have a story to tell about any political pressure that was being brought to bear on her either by the White House or the president's lawyer when he was running around Ukraine and trying to uh, essentially – I think fair to say from what we've seen from the records kind of turn opinion against her because he thought she was hostile to President Trump. At the same time, she is a career foreign service officer. Um, She is still in the foreign service. She has to think about her retirement, her pension the benefits that might be available to her. um, If she risked being fired from the Foreign Service by the president, uh, if she were somehow seen as defying him by testifying, she could potentially lose all that. So she has this incredible kind of personal issue here that she has to, to weigh. I mean different from somebody like Gordon Sondland who frankly is rich, who owns hotels, who wasn't in the Foreign Service. With the ambassador, you're talking about someone who has spent her entire life in the Foreign Service. Uh, And I think would like to continue in that, at least for the foreseeable future.
1: All right. My last question for you, Shane. Given how many of these depositions and testimonies have been blocked or haven't happened for various reasons, I I just want to understand the context. How important are these moments to the House Democrats' investigation?
0: I think they're very important, but I think also we shouldn't overstate the importance. And here's what I mean by that. You got you have text messages, right? You have the transcript that the White House released. You have the whistleblower's complaint. I think from the Democrats' perspective, there's a lot of information that is kind of coming together right now and a picture is being formed. No doubt they want to get firsthand testimony to add to that. But there's kind of a lot that is there right now. And I think one political calculation they have to make is that they focus on what they have. Uh, and do, or do they view, uh, and possibly you know try to avoid the distraction potentially of these court cases. Um, so that there's so there's something that they're having to, to weigh there. At the same time, you know I think we should recognize that someone like Gordon Sondland, particularly if he's saying I want to come testify, I want to tell you the story could provide new information. There could be something that is revelatory it takes this our understanding of the story even to another level or implicates other people in the administration. And Democrats are clearly looking for that. I think that there is a, a, a clear sense you get from talking to people that while they do have a lot that's there, they would like to have more in order to build that impeachment case before they actually took this to the House and asked their colleagues to take a vote on it.
1: All right, Shane. We will stay tuned to your reporting. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? For more on the schedule from The Hill, who's supposed to testify, who's been blocked, who's been subpoenaed, visit our calendar at wapo.st what's next impeachment. Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Carol Alderman with special help this week from Jessica Stahl, design help from Kat Rudell Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon.